Welcome back, everyone, to part two of this multi-parter on Pizzagate, representing only a fraction of what goes on worldwide. In part one, we covered a lot, but there's so much more to go over, and I'm going to continue to feed those gorgeous little ear holes of yours with a hell of a lot more information. And if you haven't listened to part one yet, well, stop this episode right now, you crazy, and go listen to that first, because if you jump in right here, then you're just going to be missing far too much of the puzzle. So please, go listen to part one first, naturally. So last week, I mentioned the impassioned journalist Ben Swan briefly, and how he was fired for covering Pizzagate early on. And so to refresh and catch the listeners up to speed, I'm just going to play that CBS segment that Ben Swan did, which unfortunately got his ass fired. So let's listen to that really quick. Unclassified FBI document. That document, according to the FBI, contains commonly used symbols by pedophiles to express their preference in children. I want you to see these images here. These are the images. Notice this one on the end, the triangle. That image signifies something called boy love. The pizza place next door to Comet Ping Pong Pizza, Besta Pizza, well, this was their logo until only a few weeks ago. Clearly, you can see that the Besta logo actually contains the same image, I'm going to show you again, as that boy lover image. Interestingly, after Pizzagate investigators pointed this out, Besta Pizza changed their logo, and there it is now. They removed the triangle. Also, Comet Ping Pong, owned by Alphantis, is the place where a number of performance artists perform regularly. Two of the groups that perform there, who you can see advertised, by the way, on this Comet Ping Pong poster, include a group called Heavy Breathing and another group called Sex Stains. Well, if you check out the YouTube videos by these bands, Heavy Breathing has songs that do joke about pedophilia. And the band Sex Stains has a video that includes, and you see it right there, that same boy lover symbol. It's nearly identical to the one that the FBI does say is a pedophile code symbol for boy love. As I said, there are some strange things there. As for the owner of the pizza place, James Alphantis, well, he was one time in a relationship with David Brock who ran Media Matters for America. Well, since Pizzagate began to blow up online, he has made his Instagram profile, Jimmy Comet, private. But an archive search of Instagram reveals a number of strange photographs and words with strange and disturbing images associated with them. Look, to the point where we can't show you those pictures. We're not even going to describe them to you because some viewers would find it too disturbing to share on TV. Now let's talk about the Podesta brothers because remember it was John Podesta's email that was hacked. In those leaked Podesta emails, John Podesta talks about his close relationship with Dennis Hasteret, the former Speaker of the House, who was recently sentenced to 15 months in prison for abusing boys years ago. He was referred to by the judge as a serial child molester. So yeah, pretty good, pretty good. So in part one, I mentioned some businesses that were being highlighted because of their connection to Comet Ping Pong and its owner, James Elephantis, as well as his boyfriend at the time, David Brock, the creator of Media Matters for America, which is a far-left media watchdog group. I mentioned Best of Pizza, Beyond Borders, Terrasol, Bucks Fishing and Camping, Politics and Prose Bookstore and Coffee House, and the Pegasus Museum, owned by Castellum LLC, which is or was also owned by James Elephantis. And keep in mind, all of these are on Connecticut Avenue, alongside Comet Ping Pong, and are all grouped fairly close to each other. And remember, this entire area does in fact have subterranean levels consisting of those things that are dug out and built underground, those things called tunnels. So let's get into these businesses a little bit. We already know that Comet Ping Pong and Bucks Fishing and Camping are owned by James Elephantis through his Big Cheese LLC. 
The next one is Best of Pizza, which is only a couple of doors down from Comet and Bucks. And as I mentioned in part one, Best of Pizza is registered to Andrew Klein, which is also shown in the Department of Consumer and Regulatory Affairs records. And Andrew Klein is a former Department of Justice employee who was heading the Human Trafficking Prosecution Unit. He was appointed to that position by none other than Billy Slippery Dick Clinton, the one and only. And an article by Vanity Fair in 2011 had this to say. Special Litigation Counsel Andrew Klein, a Clinton appointee with an MA in Human Rights from Harvard's Kennedy School of Government, was one of four attorneys in the Human Trafficking Prosecution Unit of the Department of Justice in the Civil Rights Division. It fell upon the curly-haired, bespectacled Klein, now a senior advisor in the executive office of the president and one other colleague to provide U.S. attorneys nationwide with training on prosecuting trafficking cases. Now, the logo of Best of Pizza was changed in 2016 after it was discovered that their logo was actually a known FBI pedophile symbol indicating boy lover, that being a spiral triangle or the spirangle as they call it. They changed the logo by removing the inner spiral and now it looks more or less like a slice of pizza with some cheese dripping upwards. I don't know. And just down a couple more doors is another place called Politics and Prose. It's owned by Bradley Graham, who is also a longtime journalist with the Washington Post, and his wife, Lisa Muscatine, who was also a senior advisor and chief speechwriter for Hillary Clinton while she was at the White House and the State Department. The logo of Politics and Prose was also said to include the spiral triangle for the ampersand, the and sign. And there's another business that sits between Comet and Bucks. I forget its name, but it is also owned by uh, Bradley Graham and Lisa Muscatine. It said that they too had a spiral symbol on that logo, but I, I couldn't track that down. I don't know. But The next business, Terrasol, also had a known FBI symbol. This one being a hand with the fingers extended inside of a double heart, indicating girl lover. They too would change their logo during the firestorm in 2017. Now, let's hop and skip our Velcros down a couple doors to Beyond Borders, a Clinton charity mainly for Haitian children, and we all know how much Hillary loves her walnut sauce, but Beyond Borders was founded by none other than the Clinton Global Initiatives, or the Clinton Foundation, which Jeffrey Epstein played a huge part in getting started, which is not well known, but that is why you come here to learn, because we like to get learned here. And what is Beyond Borders' mission statement? Well. Let's listen. Working to end child slavery and prevent violence against women and girls in Haiti. Sounds great. And we all know about the Clintons' involvement in the 2010 earthquake in Haiti where Laura Silsby was caught trying to kidnap and traffic 33 children. And the Clintons said that the first thing they were going to do in Haiti was rescue Laura Silsby. Forget about everything else. Get her out. That was the first thing that needed to be accomplished. And so after striking a deal behind closed doors, the Clintons brought Laura back to the United States where she'd soon change her name to Laura Gaylor and began working for none other than Amber Alert, which, by the way, was created by Bill Clinton. And if you haven't already, go check out that episode. Episode 42, Laura Silsby. And I'll note that a dedicated researcher, Monica Peterson, was in Haiti during the same time and was investigating the Clintons and their connection to all that shady shit they do, including child trafficking. Monica was a graduate of Corbell and a research fellow and an assistant director at the Human Trafficking Center. 
and she had picked up on some leads while in Haiti and was posting her findings online and discussing everything with her friend Bella. But as soon as Monica was getting her story and exposing the child trafficking issues, which led directly to the Clintons, lo and behold, she was found dead, suicided, like so many others connected to the Clintons. And the fucked up part is that there was no autopsy done, and her parents still to this day have not been given her body. And when that happens, there's clearly some corruption going on. Okay, so there's one final business we should touch on really quick before moving on. The Pegasus Museum, which is or was located at 3518 11th Street Northwest in Columbia Heights, Washington, D.C. There has been so much debate online over whether this place existed or not. Well, the fact is that it did or does exist, as I explained in part one. James registered the Pegasus Museum in June of 2014, and only three days after purchasing the building, he added the address to Google Maps and then gave it the first and only five-star review. But despite that, the mainstream media and the shills who deep-throat everything they say went into overdrive to deny its very existence. So, that's when Ryan O'Neill came into the picture. Ryan O'Neill was one of those early independent researchers who dug deep into everything Pizzagate-related. And due to how hard the media pushed back against all of those early researchers and how hard they tried to ignore the issue and discredit everyone who dug into the matter, Ryan decided to look into the Pegasus Museum and discovered that James had obtained permits to do some digging underneath the building. He was also able to use Google Maps and the Street View and photographs from James' own Instagram account to prove that the place in fact existed. Not to mention the building permits that had James' name, phone number, and all that good stuff. Because, you know, all that's public record. Anyone can go find that out. And Ryan made a very detailed YouTube video which pretty much exposed James Elephantis and the Pegasus Museum. He also drew the connection to the infamous Kill Room through his research. But before he was going to post the video to YouTube, he wanted to at least try to get James Elephantis to do an interview with him. So he contacted James through his Instagram account to ask for a user-submitted interview based on questions posited by anybody who was interested in the accusations. At the time, Ryan was part of a group on a website called Vote, where people can post content and get votes on how good or bad the content is. And in terms of the Pizzagate material, he was getting a lot of upvotes, a lot of praise for his work. And so after Ryan reached out to James through his Instagram account, James actually responded and told him that you know, an interview would never happen. And so that's when Ryan posted the video to YouTube, and about two hours later, James would actually reach out to Ryan through Messenger, and a strange conversation took place. After the conversation, Ryan would actually post a video going over that conversation with James, where he took screenshots of the texts back and forth. In that conversation, James repeatedly threatened to kill Ryan and his family, including his young son. James actually gave Ryan his real phone number, which would later be verified through the building postcard permit for the Pegasus Museum itself. Ryan was hesitant to actually call him, and so James said he only had 10 seconds. And that's when he began to count down with numerical texts, you know, 10, send, 9, send, 8, send, all the way down to 1. At that point, James said, Last chance. And that's when Ryan called James Elephantis. And right when James answered the call, James started to tear Ryan a new arsehole. Just went into him, hard and deep. 
The call lasted about three minutes. Ryan said he wasn't sure even what to say and told him that he wasn't trying to hurt anyone and that it was just a guy digging into an interesting story. James reiterated to him that he needed to take down the video about the Pegasus Museum or his closest loved ones would die. Ryan was a bit incredulous, but agreed to do what James told him because he wasn't about to take any chances. You never know with these people. But James did tell him sort of offhand that, quote, the wall was the same wall, end quote. Ryan laughed and said, I know, I proved it in the film, or something along those lines. And Ryan said that after they had that interaction, he thought about everything for a minute and then decided that he should probably file a police report, which he apparently did. And apparently Alex Jones was also threatened by James Elephantis for his own coverage of Pizzagate back in the day. And then Alex apologized for even talking about it, which is just absolutely ridiculous, Alex. But it's also understandable when you consider that, you know, what they did to him over his coverage of the orchestrated Sandy Hook shooting. So it kind of makes sense. So we're about to hop over to James' Instagram photos and the comments that he and his friends shared. But before that, we're going to hop on to Panda Eyes. Let's talk about Panda Eyes. So we're about to get really deep here. And this is your chance to tune out if, you know, details aren't your thing. Timothy Charles Holmseth at TimothyCharlesHolmseth.com is an award-winning news reporter and investigative journalist. He's an FBI witness in a national profile kidnapping case. He captured rogue CIA and FBI child traffickers on tape discussing their operations. He has been targeted for a decade. And in 2019, Timothy Charles Holmseth became part of the Pentagon Pedophile Task Force. And he is the only reporter authorized to report original content for the Pentagon Pedophile Task Force. And that all comes from his bio on, the, on his website. And in August of 2020, he posted a survivor's story of their experience with panda eyes abuse. The survivor's name is Ryan, and he gave a detailed account of his experience. Let's listen to his experience. I'm a survivor also a retired pediatric registered nurse. I still have dark rings under my eyes. I'm in my late 50s. The horrifying truth is that brutal sodomy is such excruciating pain, and it rips tissues and colons from their anchors in the pelvis, plus traumatizes the vagus nerve, etc., that children's eyes bulge with that trauma, and capillaries under the eyes burst and die. Thus, the tissues and skin, mostly under the eyes, die of hypoxia, or lack of oxygenation, of course, the bursting of capillaries is the same as blunt force trauma to the face and gives children two black eyes. Unfortunately, with repetition, those capillaries are not restored and we are left with permanent black rings under our eyes. Yes, traffic kids are always sleep deprived. I used to wish I would die and go to heaven just so I could sleep for a hundred years or so. However, the panda is even more perverse and brutal than sleep deprivation. Many times the perpetrators will punch you in the nose for cover-up. So, if any child is taken to a doctor, the immediate trauma noted is a broken nose. Mine has been fractured innumerable times. I was never taken to a doctor. My colon was ripped from the pelvic wall in three places, and I have an extra loop of colon from the force of garden hoses used as enemas for sodomy pictures and kitty porn. So... All that's pretty, uh, yeah, pretty intense there. Pretty intense. So let's talk about another survivor. Her name was Cheryl Hershebeck. Uh, she posted her own experience in brief along with the photograph. And in that, she said, quote, me, age 14, in the presence of my master, father taking picture, 
1975, C.A. Beck. I have black panda eyes from brutal sodomy as preschooler and up. My eyes are permanently black underneath. Much physical damage. Why pedos use panda symbolism. So during my research, I reached out to Cheryl on Twitter, and after vetting, she told this to me. And and by the way, this is not her real voice. This is just a voiceover. So my mom was unknowing of my father's Luciferian bloodline family when she got pregnant and married him. I'm the second born. All bloodline children are programmed through trauma-based mind control. My father knew what he was participating in consciously, only some of the time. He was a violent, controlling man and my mom was an abused and neglected child who took far too much abuse from him. Anyhow, my father carefully chose each of our names due to repeating royal names within the bloodline and the gematria. My mom dropped one letter from my middle name and changed the destiny he and the family intended for me completely. I was deemed an expendable. Expendables are the family's cash cows. We are used and abused in every way for a price or for favors among friendly families. Friendly families are part of the 13 bloodlines. I had a local oracle determine I was an expendable at age two years. When the international family gathered in the USA when I was four years old, the high oracle of the family also came to the same determination. I believe the demon they attached to me at three was trauma. A spirit of trauma causes even more trauma to your day life, so to speak. Out of we three children, I was the one going to the hospital with accidents that occurred in my day life. The vagus nerve runs from your brain to your anus. It innervates major organs along the way. When a child is brutally sodomized, there is significant tearing of the anus and rectum and damage to the vagus nerve. The pain is overwhelmingly so intense that the nerves in the body are overwhelmed and blood flow is channeled into the fight-or-flight sympathetic response. However, the child is trapped, cannot run, cannot fight, the nerves are so overwhelmed that the child's eyes bulge from the pain of the assault. When this happens, the fragile capillaries in the skin of the face around the eye sockets burst under the eyes. When these capillaries burst, oxygen ceases to flow to the skin. Burst capillaries and veins cause the bruising of the eyes. The lack of oxygen causes black rings from tissue necrosis. In little children, the healing takes place fairly fast. In my case, because I was expendable, I was punched in the nose and had my nose broken. I have a deviated septum, and my nursing eyes can look in the mirror and see it. My pediatrician covered up all my injuries. He was also the high priest of the family circle and worked with the CIA in the cover-ups of my injuries from AK-Ultra. I have an entire body of evidence as to what happened to me. The sodomy scarring is present. Damage to the vagus nerve is present. My colon was ripped from my pelvic walls in three places causing a very painful floppy redundant colon. I was sex trafficked as an expendable child, used in kiddie porn, snuff films in which the doctor would revive me afterward. You name it. Thus, even as a little girl, sodomy was part of my ongoing abuse for the first fifteen years of my life. I'm left with dark rings under my eyes that I cover with makeup, and my glasses help for interviews. So... That is the truth of panda eyes, and the perpetrators get off on causing that much pain and harm to little ones, both boys and girls, so much so that they adopted the panda as a pedo symbol. Liz Crokin is legit. She's a good follow. Pizza, as you probably know, is a real pedophile code word. Elephantus is a Rothschild. 
He made up his last name as an elite family trafficker to signal, I love children in French. Comet ping-pong was used by Barack Obama, Clintons, and others for pedophilia. There is a picture online of Obama playing ping-pong and Comet pizza with a young boy. I know the identity of that young boy. That's all I can say about that. There are basements and tunnels on that street, and there is a vast tunnel system of different levels throughout D.C. I was trafficked into the White House back in the 70s, on occasion, via those tunnels. I have been in the deep tunnels that connect dumbs, and of course a few dumbs. Barack Obama is a high Luciferian and a farm product, as is Michael Fischel. You do know what the farm is, correct? Their girls were adopted and paid well for being their adopted children. They are also programmed. So, wow, yeah, um, she, she covered a lot of ground there. And I have no reason not to believe what she told to me. For a lot of people, you know, it's a hard pill to swallow to believe that there are these large groups of rich and powerful people who do these things. But the fact of the matter is that there are. And more and more of this is being exposed. Where it leads is anyone's guess at this point. And I mean, there are some people who don't think it leads anywhere. That there is nothing happening. That the world is a fantastic place for the unloved, unwanted young children struggling out in the streets. All is well. Then there are those who think that shit is definitely happening and they want to know fucking answers. And then there are those who suspect that things could be happening. And if things are, then they just simply want no part of it. They just tune that out, don't want to talk about it. And again, another shout out to Liz Crokin. Hopefully one day, Liz, you'll come on the show. And I'm hoping. Um, and I'm also going to see if I can get Cheryl Beck on, see if she wants to talk about her experience person the word out i mean it's pretty intense stuff but and again another shout out to liz croken just an amazing woman who does amazing research and hopefully one day she'll come on the show i've been trying and also I'm, i think i'm gonna see if cheryl beck will come on as well see if she wants to just talk about her experience in person and get, and get the story out um but we'll see about that but let's hear from one more survivor orlando brown a lot of you might know who orlando brown is but uh orlando was a former disney child actor who got his fame from that So Raven and family. And there's actually a TikTok video of him discussing panda eyes. So let's listen to that audio. It's about two minutes, and I do apologize for the music. It is not my music. It is the music on the TikTok video. It is not my music. All right, let's listen to that. You ever heard of a panda? Like I was telling you, panda. So you got... Panda is, a really. Panda is a secret code for um, a certain thing. Um, and so when it comes down to that certain thing, um, it's so what it is is uh, you basically have a certain nerve in your rectum. And if you touch that nerve, you can turn a person into an animal. You can turn a person into whatever you want them to be if you just hold them down. So pretty much... When you see black eyes, like uh, Blueface and, you know, shit like that, he got beat up, but he didn't get beat up where you thought he got beat up. He got beat up somewhere else, okay? And so uh, the eyes come out, and they call them panda eyes, and they do this to... So you see people with these cigars, and, they're, they're, you know, all these big celebrities, they all have the cigar in common. That, that, that's that big-ass thing between their legs that they're sticking in. And it's one big society of it. Now, when it comes down to the selling of the... They're shipping and trafficking... 
and people, adults, the moms, the dads, right there on Target commercials, right there on Walmart commercials, and you're looking at the people that are missing, and they're smiling like they're happy, but they're going back to hell, and that's really what it is, you know, um, these are actually adults, uh, Jeffrey Epstein created this saga, and this is what he is great at doing, he's great at kidnapping someone, turning them into a putting them in a dead celebrity's body and screwing the life out of them after he makes a ton of money off of their ass on his private little beach. So you have a private little beach full of celebrities and bodies getting screwed and nobody cares because they're supposed to be dead. And this has been a major market, a major market that he tried to blame on Oprah Winfrey. So, uh, you know, uh, yeah, that's what I feel about that. And, and uh, this panda eye thing is, you know, the panda, 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 all that stuff is just, is so real. You know, you want to go get fucked by Shaba until your eyes pop out? Go ahead. I mean, that's up to you. But, uh, you know, I just think that, you know, people just need to realize what they're looking at when they're watching the television. Everything is right in front of you. The revolution was televised, and don't nobody get shit. So, yeah, pretty crazy. And we see the whole panda eyes thing. It's all over Hollywood. People like Lady Gaga love to promote that shit. Just hits everywhere. And there's also what's called the Black Eye Club. And I don't think that's official, and I don't think that's the official title of the club, but it's the name given by researchers and theorists to explain why all these A-list celebrities and politicians and sports team owners and the like, and well, just the super rich in general, I'll just put it that way, always end up with a black eye or two when they happen to go off script and say or do something critical about the elite cabal. But let's get back to James Elephantis' Instagram photos, or as he went by, Jimmy Comet. There are so many very strange photos on James' Instagram account that he and his friends shared, including photos of infants and babies with very sexually suggestive comments. I'm not going to get into them too much here, but one I'll bring up is one of James' friends holding a baby in his arms next to his chest. He's wearing a large pearl necklace, which he has draped around the baby's neck as well. And in the comments, you see James saying, Hashtag chicken lovers. Now, for those who don't know, chicken lover is code word for being someone who gets turned on by children, obviously making chicken code word for child. All of this is verified information. Well, let's jump back to the emails really quick. In one email associated with Killary, um, it was sent by close Clinton clan member Louis Amslam to Killary's chief of staff, Cheryl Mills. He says the following, quote, with fingers crossed. The old rabbit's foot out of the box of the attic. I will be sacrificing a chicken in the backyard to Moloch. End quote. Slip of a tongue, inside joke, little statement, anyone's guess. Anyone's guess. Now, Moloch is a well-known deity or idol that was worshipped by the Canaanites in biblical times. And another name for Moloch is Baal. And today, Moloch is considered to be the favorite god of Satanism, and it is also thought to be what is represented by the giant owl at Bohemian Grove, the elite all-boys club that gathers in the forest about 70 miles northwest of San Francisco and is known for essentially being a giant gay orgy for the rich and powerful attendees, such as presidents, politicians, and celebrities. In fact, Richard Nixon is on record saying that the Bohemian Grove is, quote, the most faggoty goddamn thing you could ever imagine. End quote. That's literally what he says. It's an audio recording from a phone call he made from the Oval Office or some shit. But here is what is said about Moloch in Psalm 106. 
34 through 43. They served their idols and were ensnared by them. They sacrificed to demons their own sons and daughters, shedding innocent blood, the blood of their own sons and daughters, whom they sacrificed to the idols of Canaan, desecrating the land with bloodshed. They defiled themselves by their actions and became adulterers by their conduct. Moloch, or Baal, as it's known, has historically been a large metal bull, the animal, which was hollow and where children and animals were placed to be burned alive as a sacrifice. And a critical element to the sacrifice were the screams of the suffering, meaning that the more suffering there was, the louder the screams were. It all meant for a better sacrifice. So let's continue on with Killery. There was a man named Larry Nichols, who was a former Green Beret and a longtime associate of Bill Clinton's. He was running with Slippery Dick through the 1970s and 80s when Billy was serving as governor of Arkansas. And for anyone familiar with these things, then you know that old Billy was instrumental in the distribution of cocaine through Mena, Arkansas, through the 1980s with the assistance of then-President George Poppyskin Herbert Walker Bush, who also served as the head of the CIA. And the U.S. Customs estimated that at least 75% of all drugs smuggled via airplane went through Mena, Arkansas during that time period. And this is the same time period which involved a lot of the same people as the Iran-Contra scandal. Let's move on, though. Now let's introduce Barry Seal. He was the famous drug smuggler who trafficked billions of dollars worth of drugs for the Medellin cartel in only three years while also working for the CIA. Barry would eventually be busted quote-unquote, and was set to testify against several people in multiple trials, but was found murdered in his car in 1986 before he could name any big names such as Bill and Hillary Clinton. Who killed him? Well, the official story is that the meddling cartel had sent hitmen to kill him. And who do the CIA work closely with? Well, aside from almost every terrorist organization such as ISIS and Al-Qaeda, as well as smaller domestic groups here at home, they also work closely with drug cartels. But back to Larry Nichols. He went on the Pete Santilli radio show back in 2013 and admitted that he acted as a hired hitman for the Clintons and had killed numerous people. And then in 2015, he did an interview with Alex Jones and stated that when Hillary was first lady, she'd go to California regularly with a woman named Linda Bloodworth Thomason and they'd go to a church or witches where they'd worship Satan. And this gets into spirit cooking with Marina Abramovich and the Podesta brothers and everyone else, including Will Ferrell, but I'm getting ahead of myself, which is just too easy to do with all these connections. So let's bring it back to Panda Eyes. One of the pictures on James Elefantis' Instagram account shows a red tire laying flat on the floor, and in the middle where the rim of the hub would be, is filled with tiny panda figurines. And in the comments, you find James Elephantis saying, hashtag come panda, as in C-U-M-P-A-N-D-A, come panda. And a friend of his, uh, C. Boutelier, comments, hashtag come panda, comma, hashtag panda come whole. James responds, panda come whole, exclamation. And C. Bootler responds, quote, LOL, it seemed like an accurate description at the time. And then he puts a weird smiley face, end quote. In another photo, we see a guy wearing a panda mask. James comments, hashtag come panda. 
C. Bootler responds, LOL, the National Zoo presents Companda, end quote. And in yet another photo, we see an image of a cartoon panda bear holding a ping pong paddle and tossing a ping pong ball in the air. In the comments, James tags C. Bootler and says, hashtag Companda, hashtag new friend. So we can see that these people have some sort of affinity with this thing called Companda and Panda Cumhole. But another interesting part of this is that all of these photos and comments were public until James and his friends made their accounts private once people were looking into them amid the onslaught of accusations. But you can find images of all of this stuff, like the Wayback Machine and through the Pizzagate Research website portal thing. And I mean, a lot of stuff has, has been screenshot and, and archived, so... And the barman for Comet Ping Pong went by or goes by Joshua Ryan V on Instagram and would post nothing but highly sexualized content on his public account. A lot of it being pizza themed, such as a penis ejaculating tiny pizza slices and people having sex on a pizza slice and naked dudes with pizza slices covering their dicks. And two guys giving another guy oral sex with the dude's dick replaced with a pizza slice. Just all sorts of weird shit like that. And his comments were always telling people to come to comment with come being spelled C-U-M. And just like James, he represented Comet Ping Pong below his name. Again, all public. Now think about this. Just, just think about this. Take this guy, James Elephantis. He's running a family-friendly pizza shop. He had all of these sexually suggestive photographs of infants on his public Instagram along with his employees. And this means that anyone and everyone was able to see those photos and the comments right alongside them, including the customers. I mean, think about it, say, I don't know, family-friendly Pizza Hut constantly made social media posts that were hyper-sexualized and told potential customers to come on in for some pizza. I mean, I don't know, man. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it's normal. So let's just give it the benefit of the doubt and say that there was nothing weird or sketchy about any of that. Let's just put all of that aside. None of that matters, right? But what about the artwork that was inside of Comet Ping Pong? Let's touch on that really quick because this wouldn't be complete without at least mentioning the art. Now you'd think that a family-friendly restaurant would adorn its walls with age-appropriate artwork, right? Wrong. Not Comet Ping Pong. At least not back when this was popping off. Keep in mind... Most of the weird artwork was taken down or covered up since this story came out. One artist by the name of Arrington de Dioniso had painted a questionable mural on one of the walls inside of Comet, right next to the ping pong tables where all the kids hang out and play ping pong. It depicted seven adults who held the disembodied heads of two younger-looking individuals. And anyone who looks into his work we'll find that he likes to paint adults holding the heads of beheaded children. There was some other art that was allegedly inside of the bathroom, which depicted a man jacking off and ejaculating onto a ping pong table as he played ping pong against an alien. And nearby are the words, shut up and fuck. And one might ask, is this family friendly and great for children? I mean, I'm no expert, but I'd say no. I also want to note that there have been a lot of people who have attributed the artwork by Kim Noble to Comet Ping Pong and James Alephantis, 
But apparently that is not correct. Apparently Kim Noble has nothing to do with James Elephantis or his businesses. The reason why her name and her alter ego, Rhea Pratt, was brought into the mix is because a person by the name of Sasha Lord designed a poster for a band that was performing at Comet Ping Pong that resembled a piece of artwork by Kim Noble. Sasha Lord is a Washington, D.C.-based production manager for local bands, artists, and performers. She is closely involved with James and has worked with numerous bands at Comet Ping Pong. One such band is called Heavy Breathing, whose front lady is called Majestic Ape, but we'll get into them a little later. The artwork in question by Kim is titled Nowhere to Run and shows five adults standing around a sixth adult who is straddling a child lying on the floor. And if you remember in part one, I mentioned the man Arun Rao. He was a Department of Justice lawyer who works closely with the Clintons and anyone on their team. Well, he liked a lot of these weird pictures that Jimmy Comet, a.k.a. James Elephantis, posted to his Instagram account along with a bunch of his friends. Um, pictures such as his niece's arms both being taped to a table where she's just completely defenseless. They really like that shit. And uh, Arun Rao, he's also great friends with his buddy at the Defense Department, Andrew Klein. At any rate, let's just set all the creepy artwork aside, just like all the creepy Instagram photos and comments. Set that aside. Let's bring up another name. This guy's name is Frank Justra. This is another big one. Huge fish here. Frank Justra is everywhere. He is a Canadian billionaire and businessman who founded Lionsgate Entertainment in 1997, which had its first blockbuster success with the film American Psycho. Amazing film. Amazing film. Great film. Um, he also had success with the controversial film adaptation of Lolita, written by Vladimir Nabokov, which revolves around hebophilia or the sexual attraction of teenagers. To cut to the chase... Frank Justra is or was on the board of directors for the Clinton Foundation and was the top donor of the foundation alongside Jeffrey Epstein. Also in 1997, he started the Radcliffe Foundation, which partners with other foundations and groups, sort of like to, you know, launder money in a quote-unquote legal way. And they say that they are dedicated to helping refugee children such as those during the 2010 Haiti earthquake involving Laura Silsby Gaylor and the Clintons. In 2007, he and Clinton formed the Clinton-Juster Enterprise Partnership, which changed its name to Accesso in 2020. It was said to have been formed to address global poverty. Interestingly, his name is mentioned at least 57 times in the leaked Clinton-Podesta emails. And speaking of Podesta... The Podesta Group represented Frank's mining company during the same time when it was discovered that Juster signed off on basically selling Russia the controlling share of the company Uranium One, which had assets with the U.S. uranium supply. John Podesta assisted in that transaction. Frank also started a company called, you're going to love this, the Boys Club Network, which is said to... Mentor thousands of at-risk boys. Completely normal. Everyone's setting up a boys club network. Everyone's doing it. And when asked what drove him to start it, he said, quote, I'm driven by passion. End quote. And prior to that, 2002, he had another company called 222 Pizza Express. 
Business records show that this was a mining company, but there aren't a lot of details on that. And who owns a fucking mining company called Pizza Express? Anyway, Frank then started another foundation through the Radcliffe Foundation called Alpida. Alpida's stated goal was to, quote, give shelter to refugees and orphans in Greece, end quote. In 2005, he also became an executive member of the International Crisis Group, which apparently gives advice to policymakers, which is clear as day corruption. Clear as day. So, okay. Maybe it is just an innocent foundation that wants to help little orphan children. Okay, fine. Let's say that that is what it is. But then why is their logo exactly identical to the FBI's known boy lover symbol? The Spiral Triangle. And check this out. XCI spy Robert Steele is adamant that these sorts of activities, that is, billionaires creating these foundations to quote-unquote help low-income and underprivileged children, is exactly how child trafficking is accomplished. Now get this. Back in 2019, Frank Juice just sued Twitter over some tweets that random people made about him in relation to his involvement with child sex rings. He said these comments people were making about him, quote, made him out to be corrupt and a criminal, end quote. So he went on to sue Twitter for not removing all of the comments. They removed some of the comments, but apparently not all of them. And he took fit over this. And in the end, the B.C. Supreme Court dismissed his claim on January 6th and ordered both parties to pay for their own attorney's fees. But there was a civil suit that was then settled out of court for an undisclosed amount. And one more thing before we move on here. Frank is also close with Justin Trudeau, Canada's demoralizing slime minister. And the Trudeaus also have a foundation. It's called the Trudeau Foundation, if you can believe that. And can you guess what their original logo was before they changed it in 2017? Well, it was nearly identical to Alpita's logo. Just nearly identical. But yeah, once the FBI released their known pedo symbols in 2017 or whatever, the Trudeaus would quickly and quietly change their foundation's logo to the one you see today, which looks like an F and stands for... Justin Trudeau is a failure and is a dictator, just like his father, Fidel Castro. Maybe the F stands for Fidel. Maybe that's what the F stands for. Either failure or Fidel. One of those two. But moving right along. Okay, let's move along here. Let's bring it back to the band Heavy Breathing and their front lady, Majestic Ape, who are regulars at Comet Ping Pong. I'm not going to get too deep into this aspect because it's sort of secondary to the main picture, but Majestic Ape is said to be a woman named Amanda Kleinman. Thing is, she or he always wears something over their head to conceal their identity and allegedly uses a voice modulator to change their voice. Honestly, I think it's a dude, and some think it's actually James Elephantus himself, which could be true. The only reason I'm bringing it up is because of two video recordings that have surfaced of this person talking to the private crowd inside of Comet Ping Pong after hours during Sasha Lord's birthday party, Sasha being the production manager for local bands in D.C. Now, I'm not going to play the audio because it's pretty difficult to hear at times due to all of the background noise going on as people are talking and making noise and, you know, dishes clanking and all that. 
So I'll just read what they say. Quote, We are here to celebrate the birth of our Lord, Sasha Lord. It wasn't Christmas. No, it's today. If you are like me, you love Sasha. Or if you don't, you want perks from her. And then this majestic ape gives this really creepy laugh, and the crowd laughs, and then they say, Things like free pizza, or booze, or chopstick. And at that point, everyone cheers and laughs, the crowd goes crazy, and a few moments later they say, Have any of you enjoyed this special pizza here tonight called The Hottie? If you haven't had it, you should try it, it's delicious. And then they say that the special ingredient in The Hottie was ketchup in individual packets. Everyone loves that. Majestic ape Amanda Kleiman, James Elephantis, whoever this person is, continues to make a joke about Sasha's grandfather inventing, quote, Russian dressing that you put on a salad and suck it, end quote, with salad actually referring to the genitals. Then they tell a story about he or she, Majestic, was infertile and had asked Sasha to carry the baby for him or her, which Sasha did, and Sasha did give birth, and that's the great part. But then Majestic says that after it was born, he had, quote, To put that shit down. Euthanasia. It came out really tiny. It had no hair. It had this rope thing falling from its stomach. End quote. And in the second recording, this is what Majestic Ape says. Quote, And Jerry is known to hang out down here. He likes the world sounds. End quote. And that's when a friend in the audience says, quote, and little boys, end quote. And right after that, another friend said, quote, and children, end quote. That's when Majestic Elephantus said, quote, I think I know I was his manager, end quote. And then some other guy says, no, 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 no. And at the same time, Majestic Elephantus, in sort of this defeated body language, says in a more sinister manner the following, quote, we all have our preferences. End quote. And then they start to laugh, and that sort of laugh where you know you're up to no good, but you're laughing about it anyway. And that's exactly how they were all laughing. And so, their lyrics... the, the And so, the lyrics of Heavy Breathing and their performances reference pedophilia a lot, like in every song. They literally yell and chant about nothing but child rape and a satanic lifestyle. And their posters have imagery with pedo spirals, dead people, pizza sperm, and, and whatever else. Just all very family-oriented stuff, right? But okay, sure. That could all be circumstantial and have no relevance to what's at the heart of all of this, okay? Okay, sure, maybe. But how does that old Japanese proverb go? When the character of a person is not clear, look at their friends. Anyway, let's switch tracks here and introduce a woman by the name of Tamara Nee Stanton. Now, this lady is something else. Something else. Tamara would marry the previously divorced Francis Lozado, who was married to a woman named Anne, who took his last name, as is typically the case. She is the mother of Ben Lozado, who is the father of the children that will be mentioned shortly. I'll state here that Francis Lozado, Tamara's husband, would die only three years into their marriage from heart disease. 
She began her career working for Senator John D. Rockefeller between 1985 and 1999 and rose to being his chief of staff. Tamara acted as his primary advisor on the National Commission on Children and the Pepper Commission on Healthcare. And remember what ex-CIA spy Robert Steele said about these types of foundations, that they are commonly used by the wealthy to traffic children. But moving right along. Soon after she was appointed those positions, she was pushed into the position of being chief of staff for Killary. Back when Killary usurped the New York Senate seat. Tamara wouldn't even have to do an interview or anything like that because John Podesta, who was chief of staff to Billy Slippery Dick at the time, had personally recommended her. Two years after Francis died, Tamara would marry her current husband, David J. Leader, who was the former chief of staff to Senator John Kerry and had been appointed to an energy department post by Billy Clinton. One article by none other than Home and Garden, really outstanding publication, described the pair as a Washington power couple for some reason. And David was also a former lobbyist for Burisma Oil, which was headquartered in the Ukraine. Other ties to that company include the Podesta brothers, Paul Manafort, and the Biden crime family, specifically Hunter Biden. Connections, connections, connections. During an interview, David Leader was asked a question about his profession, and this was his response. Quote, It's like any other profession. There are those with whom you would trust your children, and there are those who you would not want your children to meet. End quote. Tamara is currently the senior vice president at the Pew Charitable Trust, where she leads government relations and ensures that Pew's wide range of policy work at the state, federal, and international levels is effectively communicated to policymakers. Pew Charitable Trust is said to be anti-corporate and anti-capitalist, yet the trust holds many millions of dollars in investments with all sorts of major corporations, something like, I don't know, half a billion dollars. So anti-corporate, anti-capitalist? I think not. But bringing it right back to the Lozado family, Francis himself worked as a senior officer in the Center for Democracy and Governance at the Agency for International Development, or AID for short. What he did is unknown, but it just sounds like another money laundering operation, which it most likely was. The Lozado family have all held high government positions, and their family traces back to the 16th century to Italy. Anthony Lozado Gardner would come to be known as Barack Obama's oracle. So that's kind of interesting. Nina Lozado Gardner was a member of the Council of Foreign Relations and a member of the Aspen Institute. Mark Lozado runs a media company and owns a bunch of other shit. And Pia Paola Lozado was a member of the Committee of 300. And I won't get into it here, but it's a group of neocon globalists and kind of a serious, serious group. Got to keep an eye on those guys. And that's just to name a few. But... But before Francis married Tamara, he was married to Anne. Anne Lozado used to be the director for public affairs and press secretary in the 1990s. When Tamara hopped on the Hillary Clinton bandwagon, the little group consisted of 13 women and one gay man. And they basically inhabited the west wing of the White House, and it was given the name Hillaryland. It said that her group would never leak information to the press, and I think we all know why by now. Hillary also said, at the time, 
that there were, quote, plenty of toys and cookies around for the children of her staffers, end quote. She also said that every child who visited knew exactly where they stashed the cookies, end quote. But how and why is Tamara Lozado involved in the whole Pizzagate thing? Well, to be technical, she's more involved in Pedogate, but she was identified because of one of those leaked emails of John Podesta's. It read, With enormous gratitude to advance man extraordinaire Haber, I am popping up again to share your excitement about the reprise of our gang's visit to the farm in Lovettsville. And I thought I'd share a couple more notes. We plan to heat the pool, so a swim is a possibility. Bonnie will be Uber service to transport Ruby, Emerson, and Maeve, Lozado, 11, 9, and almost 7. So you'll have some further entertainment. And they will be in that pool for sure. And with the forecast showing prospects of some sun and a cooler temp of lower 60s, I suggest you bring sweaters of whatever attire will enable us to use our outdoor table with the pergola overhead so we dine al fresco, and ideally not al cello. I am CC and Trudy to repeat the invite and sending pining wishes you would come to Rima, John P., and Laura and Chris. Connemore, Miss Farmer L. Side note, notice how she goes by Miss Farmer. Now, there are some intrepid researchers who have linked her nickname to what is called the Farm Circuit, which is in reference to the 1981 documentary about child trafficking and prostitution. And in a separate documentary about Hollywood pedophilia called An Open Secret, there are adult actors who were child stars that talk about pool parties, where the powerful producers and directors would manipulate the child actors into skinny dipping after hours at these parties, leading to much abuse. And keep in mind that Tamara is the step-grandmother of the three children mentioned in the email. She's not the mother or, or grandmother. She's the step-grandmother of the three children. The actual mother of the children is named Alexandra Huntingdon Tidings. She was married to Ben Lozado, the son of Francis and Anne Lozado. Alexandra is apparently an actress and played a part in Xena Warrior Princess. You guys remember that one? Great show. Great low-budget show. She's also a writer, a director, a filmmaker, a singer, a bassist, a dancer, and an activist, among many other things. But the interesting thing is, is that she is never mentioned during any of this. But let's bring it back to that email. Tamara mentions that there are three children. Ruby, who was 11 at the time, Emerson, who was 9, and Maeve, who was 7. She also mentions that there would be an Uber service for the children, and that service was provided by Bonnie Levin, who was the VP at MedStar Health in D.C. And according to Facebook, Tamara, Bonnie, and Alexandra are great friends. So what is the big deal with Tamara in this email to John Podesta referring to three young children being Ubered in to some house party or whatever to provide further entertainment in a heated pool on this quote-unquote farm? Well, it was that email that eventually led researchers to a webpage put up by Tamara and or her husband, David. The website was quickly set to invite only after people started to dig into it. But luckily, a lot of screenshots were archived before that happened. So what's the website? Well, the website is called Evie's Crib. Many of you have probably heard of it by now, but let's look into it. First, who's Evie? 
Evie is the nickname of Tamara's stepdaughter, Marissa Lozado's infant daughter, Evelyn. And at the top, at the very top, under the webpage title, Evie's Crib, is some text that is basically pinned at the top on every page you navigate to. And that text says, quote, Evelyn is growing up. Soon, she will be the queen of the entire U.S. of A. Right now, for a limited time only, you can spend time with her online, raw and uncut. Take advantage of this now, as in the future, she will have the power of life and death over you. End quote. Is that weird? To offer paying customers webcam time, raw and uncut? With an infant child? I mean, I'm going to go out on a limb here and just say, yeah, that is weird. And looking further into Evie's crib, you find a page titled, Evie's New Friend Jack. The text reads, quote, Starting next week, Evie will be joined in childcare by her buddy, Jack. I wanted you guys to get a chance to meet Jack by going to his blog here. And then it mentions a little blog page, a website link. Please don't go hard on Jack's father's technical expertise. Mine is obviously far superior, although I think he beats me in the frequent posing department. End quote. That all sounds innocent, but what she says next makes the brow furl a little bit. She continues, quote, Jack is owned by Ken Weber and Stephanie Copeland, who live a few blocks from us. End quote. Owned? I mean... From what I can gather, it seems like Ken and Stephanie are the parents, but I think it's a bit weird to say that a child is owned. And then, if one goes to a page that Tamara calls Jack's Place on that website, you'll find a couple photos of Jack. One of the photos is of the infant boy, like maybe six months old, and he's in a small baby bathtub, completely naked except for a small Canadian maple leaf graphic covering his genitals. And below the two photographs is some text. The important part of that text reads, quote, Unrated version of this photo available only to premium subscribers, end quote. And it's followed by a winking smiley face. And below that, it says that they were posted to the page by Ken and Stephanie in 2009, which means that multiple people were accessing the website as administrators, not just Tamara and David. Now, some researchers were pointing something out about Ken Weber, Baby Jack's dad. From 2011 until 2016, he was the executive director of the Zynga Foundation, the online gaming platform. And who was the founder of Zynga? That was a guy named Mark Pincus who was also a founding investor of Napster, Facebook, Friendster, Snapchat, Xiaomi, and Twitter, among other companies. One of those other companies, or startups, was one called Tribe Networks, or Tribe.net. This was a website that was basically another social network. It was an online community where people could discuss topics, upload videos, plan events, make requests for content, and put up classified ads. It was pretty much Craigslist with a little more flair. But in March of 2017, Heavy.com published an article that was based off a Reddit thread that described in detail how child pornography was being shredded and commented on within that website, Tribe.net. 
And that led Mark Pincus to shut the site down for good later that year. But he and his team said that they were dedicated to support freedom of speech and said that they'd continue with their work in that direction. Anyway, let's touch on one more thing about Evie's Crib. On the website, there were alphabetical images listed with their titles. We don't know what those pages consisted of, but some of the more disturbing titles included Baby Ambien, Filth, Psychopath, and Tranquilizers. I mean, so here's this career woman with a lot of political power. First, she was chief of staff to Jay Rockefeller with 36 staff working for her and acted as the primary advisor on the National Commission on Children and the Pepper Commission on Healthcare. Then she became the chief of staff to Senator John Kerry and had been appointed to an energy department post by Hillary Clinton. Then she went into being chief of staff for Hillary Clinton with 74 staff working for her and then went right into being the managing director for government relations with the Pew Charitable Trusts. And today she is the senior vice president of that same foundation. Now, why is and was this woman openly advertising children like this? I'll repeat this. Quote, Evelyn is growing up. Soon she will be queen of the entire U.S. of A. Right now, for a limited time only, you can spend some time with her online, raw, and uncut. Take advantage of this now, as in the future, she will have the power of life and death over you. End quote. And why is she advertising unrated versions of a naked infant for premium subscribers? These are questions people want answers to. Will we get answers? Probably not. But the most we can do is bring this stuff up, get it out there, and hopefully people start talking about it more. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we covered a lot today, as is usual. And this will be the end of part two of the Truth of Comma Ping Pong. I'm not sure how many parts this is going to turn out to be. I know for sure there's going to be a part three, so come back next week for that. There's just a shit ton of information, and this, I mean, you could do probably a 20-parter easily on this whole Pizzagate thing, but I'm going to try to limit it to five max, hopefully just four, because, I mean, it's just, I don't want to do this for multiple weeks in a row to you guys. So next week, we will dive into Marina Abramovich, uh, Spirit Cooking, Adrenochrome, we'll get into Huma Abedin and Hillary Clinton, and the weird little relationship that they have. And from there, we'll get into the famed video known as Frazzled Drip. It's actually Frazzled Rip with Rip signifying the file type. The video itself is said to involve both Killery and Huma, but yeah, we'll get into all of that next week. Anyway, dear listeners, please, if you would, like, share, and subscribe wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Follow me over there on Twitter or X. Take all your friends, family, followers. Help me get the Paranautic Podcast out there to the masses. Please, folks, I could use your help. Head on over to Facebook. Follow me over there. Feel free to post cases or stories or whatever you'd like for me to cover. Then you get the credit and the notoriety that goes with it. It's a win-win. So, until next time, ladies and gentlemen, take care of yourselves and take care of each other. Good night. Good evening. I want you to get mad. 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 Mad.
America